Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of The Race. <laughs> Starring Charlie Sheen, sort of. Nick Cassavetes, Sherry Lynn Finn, and Randy Quaid. Directed by Mike Marvin. Released in 1986 on a budget of $2.7 million. Grossed $3.5 million, Though most of that is overseas. About $2 million of it's overseas. But uh, was a big hit on home video. And well-liked among people that saw it. But critics, of course, panned it and hated it. I have specific memories of seeing this on home video. I remember going to the theaters with my dad and seeing another Charlie Sheen film, Platoon, in uh, the latter part of 1986. He and my brother... uh, and I went to that. He wanted us to see that together. And of course, it was, you know, it was a great performance. And I think I knew Sheen from stuff like Red Dawn and a few other little things I'd seen him in here and there. Um, you got to, you got to like think about Charlie Sheen before like what he is now and, you know, all of that to think about when he was you're trying to be an actor and he was trying to be Tom Cruise and all that stuff. And so when, you know, dad saw this on the old uh, rental box, he said, oh, hey, this combines ghosts and uh, Charlie Sheen and fast cars. I think you'll dig it and so you rented it one friday and we watched it and i have like i said watched it a lot growing up i think i'd taped it off like showtime or something and then lost track of it for a number of years and lo and behold it popped up on uh streaming uh, not that long ago and i said oh man gotta revisit that went back to it and you know i thought hey man you know we were doing the fast and furious movies you had like connection to cars and you know nick and car movies i thought eh, let me bring nick in on this but uh my understanding is this is your first uh, foray into the wraith it is the first foray into the wraith i when you brought this up i had no idea this movie even existed (laughs) i mean it was like oh we got what about the wraith and i'm like i don't know what the hell that is so just like you kind (laughs) of gave me like a rundown of like guy in car like going after like his former like a guy coming back from the dead going after his former killers and stuff i'm like yeah, that sounds kind of like it's right up my alley. So, and plus it being like 80 cheese, man, I, I love 80s movies. So it, it's seemed like kind of a not nice fit. And, you know, I'm not going to get into any little spoilers right here, man, but this is kind of like a, kind of like a combo of like three movies. I want to say it's like a combo of like the fast and the furious meets the crow meets <laughs> American graffiti. I mean, it's just well, kind of like only one of which came before this, by the way. <laughs> so. it, it did, it did. But I think just kind of like with our 2017 mindset, it's just like it is. It's kind of like a wapatui of those movies, where it's just like I, I, I still don't understand a lot of this film <laughs> as far as like <laughs> why, why, what. You know what I mean? There's this isn't like a movie where there's they're going to give you a lot of explanation as to why it's just like yeah this is kind of what we're doing and just just go with it (laughs) oh can i tell you though to me that's the the brilliance of this film if i can use that that phrase for a minute is that it doesn't over explain itself so many of these movies do that like if they made this nowadays man it would be two hours and 20 minutes long you know, it'd be way too much and, or it would be on the sci-fi network and would be, you know, incredibly dumb, you know? So yeah. at 96 minutes, it doesn't waste any well, time. Jay, Jay, they would make a series out of this. This would be like a five <laughs> season long series on like FX. I mean, no, no, it no, be. it wouldn't be on FX. This would be on like the CW or like Freeform or something now, or MTV would do this. And I'm surprised they haven't actually, because it's ripe for remake, but uh, I mean, well, if they could do, if they if MTV could do it with uh, teen wolf, I guess you could probably stretch any 90 minute movie. The first three seasons of that aren't too bad. 
I'll just go ahead and say that. But, you know, I'm a Buffy fan, though, so I'll go for some of that over angsty teen drama supernatural stuff. But And no. Jay and Jay's in his 40s, guys. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> I, am, I am 40. I am not in my 40s. OK, so but I'm look, I'm the right page. I'm a Gen Xer, man. I mean, this is 80s entertainment. This was my kind of stuff. My brother was into this. I watched it. My brother liked this, too. He was a, he's much more of a car guy than I am. But he really got into the engines and everything. What's what's neat to me is you watch this now and you see all the people that are in it. You know, like Nick Cassavetes, of course, son of the infamous or legendary, depending on how you want to say it, John Cassavetes. But Nick Cassavetes is a great director in his own right. He made made a really good film uh, called Alpha Dog, which is kind of a fictionalized version of a very true crime story in California back in the 90s and early 2000s. Really good. Um, has been in some cool stuff himself. He's also been kind of a weird dude. Uh, Sherry Lynn Finn, I mean, come on, Twin Peaks and uh, Boxing Helena and lots of other things that she did. She's kind of fallen off the map now, but she was active for a number of years. Matter I think she's still acting. And then, of course, you know, Sheen, which we, we all know the cartoon he's become, but he was a big get in the 80s and became even bigger in the 90s. And then you've even got just some other guys just sort of sprinkled around in here. You know, David Sherrill's been in other stuff and Clint Howard, for goodness sake. Randy Quaid. Randy, Qu- Randy forget, Quaid. Forget, how can you forget about Randy Quaid? You can't, man. Can, man. Sheriff Loomis, are you kidding? I mean, like, that's a total psycho and Halloween nod in two things. Because he's, you know, it's Arizona, it's Loomis, you know, I, I love it. I love the whole thing. And I don't think Mike Marvin's, you know, not doing anything more than just winking at us. And he's one of these guys, man. It's like, if you've ever seen some of those Burt Reynolds movies by Hal Needham, who is a, a great stunt guy and was a stunt director. Mike Marvin's from that same school, except he didn't do comedy. Uh, he does more serious stuff. And it, this was kind of his big thing. And he's, I mean, he's done other things. He's directed 10 or 11 other things and written other stuff, but he's kind of known as the Wraith guy, you know? So this is like his pet project basically. And in, in 1986, you know, we we had a last year, 2016, there was a lot of nostalgia podcasting about the movies of 1986. Cause so much stuff came came out in 86, right? And then there's like everything else that came out in 1986. And I kind of put this in the same pile as that everything else stuff, like Iron Eagle and some of the not so well-known pieces, but the stuff that I've gravitated to through the years that I really dig. And I, I got to tell you, man, I mean, this, it, this is a dangerous road to go down with me because when we've gone back and rewatched stuff that I dug in my childhood, it's, it rarely ever holds up. So I was, well, I was Jay, curious. I think speaking of 1986, though, sorry to cut you off there. I mean, we've done terror of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just starting to think if we should just like kind of like keep like in the 1986 stuff because this seems to be kind of a that, that's a very weird year as far as like I don't variety. know if it was like what, the did, variety of cinema in 1986 is is staggering when you look at it. Either the Coke was really pure or really bad at that year. I, I don't. I, I don't know. But it might be something that we need to explore. It, it could have been. I mean, the, but I mean, think about it, man. The, some of the the films that came out in 1986. You had Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee. You had Back to School, which I love. Aliens. We've talked about that one. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The Golden Child. I mean, those are just some of the big ones that came oh, out. Come on, The Fly. Big the Trouble fly. in Little China. Yeah. <laughs> Yet you had those. Of course, I've already mentioned Platoon. Howard the Duck. (laughs) Color of Money came out that year. I happen to love the soundtrack to that. The Golden Child. Yes. So I mean, even Highlander. Oh, see, that's one that one day we might have to actually get around to. I mentioned Iron Eagle, but there's a movie called FX that I happen to really love. That's kind of a beef thriller with Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy. It's pretty neat. And then, well, I mean, even Jay. I mean, you're 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 kind of big on these slasher films. I mean. What was the most outrageous Jason movie up until like Friday the Thirteenth Part Nine or Ten? Well, Part Is Six. That, yeah, and so, that was nineteen eighty six as well. Yes, it was. But I mean, you even had you even had movies like uh, Pretty in Pink and The Hitcher. The Hitcher's a really good one. That one still holds up. And uh, so Crit- that, uh, yeah, Critters and Maximum Overdrive. And we both of which we have reviewed. So you see what I mean? Like nineteen eighty six is something we've spent some time in. I don't know how we haven't done Stallone's Cobra yet, but that we're gonna fix that. Uh, sometime soon because that that needs to be talked about but uh, even movies like the manhattan project i mean there were there were a lot of movies about teenagers doing things without parental supervision that, that was a big theme for a lot of 1986 and so 
when you come up with this this car movie like this, it it was such a big deal. Um, I remember because I, I was you know, five or six years from driving at that point, so it wasn't that big of a deal to me. But like my brother, who's five years older than me, this is when he got into driving and learning how to drive and do stuff, and it was a big deal. The kids that had cars and the especially the ones that had sports cars, and I mean there was there was always something in the news about somebody drag racing or you know the town we grew up in. There wasn't that much to do with that time and so people were all the time doing this stuff so i i think there's there's a reason this connected with youth in america for a little while oh i definitely i mean i think that was kind of like the big 80s thing though was essentially was like parents just don't understand the quote will smith <laughs> was it was it was a lot of uh kids or teenager type stuff versus like the parents who are just kind of like just out there, you know, the, the baby, the, the, the baby boomer parents or something where it's just like, yeah, they're just kind of like the out with the old style and with the new, so to speak. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it, it's all, there's a whole genre of movies about the latchkey kids or the teenagers that kind of do their own thing while the folks are off doing whatever they do. I mean, what the heck is Ferris Bueller about? If not that, you know, so uh, lots of, lots of places you could go, but then you have this movie and it, it combines, Two of my loves, which are cheesy 80s pop rock music. I love this stuff. It's got hair metal mixed with the synth pop rock of the day. I love the music here. I was totally getting into music at this time. So this is the stuff I was listening to. And horror films, you know, a ghost. Because I didn't know what the word wraith meant in 1986. I mean, I, my dad brought that home and I was like, how do you even say that? You know, <laughs> he said that wraith. He said, I think it means ghost. And we actually actually looked it up in a dictionary. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's been a part of my vocabulary for the last 30 years now because I saw this movie. Otherwise, I would have no reason to use that word. Uh. I've never used it before, Jay. So <laughs> it's just, I honestly, I still don't even know what that word means, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with your terminology throughout the podcast. So I think vengeful spirit is probably the simplest thing we can go with here. And I think that will sum up a lot of what it is. But speaking of some, let me, let me lay Patrick, a, basically it's Patrick Swayze. <laughs> let me lay a plot summary out here. And then we'll talk about this Patrick Swayze-less uh, 1986 film. So the desert highways of a nowhere town in uh, called Brooks, Arizona are dominated by Packard Walsh and his gang of street racers who not only race and cheat to win, but threaten physical violence on all who stand to oppose them. Packard's real obsession, though, is the beautiful Carrie Johnson, who still reels from a violent attack that left her abandoned on a road with her boyfriend brutally murdered. In spite of the extra attention, Carrie doesn't reciprocate Packard's affections, nor his advances, and her dead boyfriend's little brother, Billy, provides what protection he can when Packard goes too far. When the new guy, Jake, shows up riding a dirt bike and begins to flirt with Carrie, Packard's jealousy kicks into high gear. His stress level is even further elevated by the appearance of a mysterious black car which systematically challenges his racers and kills them one by one in fiery crashes. As Packard's grip on the race scene and Carrie begin to slip, so does his sanity until the whole gang is dispatched with, except for the uh, Clint Howard rughead uh, car mechanic. Packard grabs Carrie at the drive-up diner she works for and plans to leave town, and he finally reveals to her the awful truth of how he and the gang killed her boyfriend and left her on that road. The Wraith car shows up for a final showdown, which involves several police cars giving chase before Packard meets his end in a horrific crash. Jake reveals to Carrie that he is the reincarnation of her dead boyfriend, and now that his revenge is finished, the two of them can be together as it was meant to be. After he leaves his super special car with Billy, Jake and Carrie ride off into the starlight of the desert sky as some great 80s pop rolls, and so do the credits. So that's the summary of The Wraith, if you will, and I kind of took a cue from you there, Nick. I tried to write it from Packard's point of view. I would have done it from the car's point of view, but you, you, you are learning, Jay. You'll get there one day. <laughs> it's only maybe the 400th one of those I've written in my podcasting career. But anyway, so right out of the gate, though, again, man, this movie wastes no time. I mean, you have the, the opening credits, which are, you know, just sort of there. And there's blue lights and uh, blue lettering on backgrounds. And you see these you get this weird special effect. I totally forgot this is how the movie starts. You have like all these lights chasing down highways and they crash together and you see this mysterious car and then we go away from it. And what a weird way to start a movie. 
Yeah, that's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I really had no idea what to expect from this movie, just kind of based on what you were saying. But of course, we start off with like a magical light coming down from the heavens, and it transforms into this like really kind of eighty sports car looking thing. No, no, this is a totally unique thing that Dodge built this. For this production, they basically gave them a million dollars. And it was a pace car, too. It yes, was a pace car. Th- they got together with PPG, the, the fabrics and glass company, the, the fabrication glass company, and Dodge. And with a million dollars, they built this. And that, that's pretty much what happened. And, I mean, they built this car, and this is what they came up with. You know, Chrysler and everybody else was like, well, we'll just, you know, kind of do it. They made like two stunt cars out of molds for it. And then they had the real one that ended up, like you said, uh, doing some pace car work through the day. But uh, the funny thing here is, and this is why I said it's sort of starring Charlie Sheen is he's only in the human scenes. He's never in the suit. And you know that because at no time is his body type closely at all matched with the Wraith driver. The Wraith driver looks like a horse jockey. And Charlie Sheen's no big guy, but he's bigger than that. Well, I think they had to do it, too, because, you know, if you know anything about, like, sports cars or, you know, cars like this, they're not very roomy. No. So they don't want to have a guy who's, you know, Charlie Sheen is a small guy. I mean, most I guess I could say most guys are small, you know, in these type of movies when I do some comparison. Most Hollywood, but, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. So that's, that's you know, me and you are, you know, what, what 6'3", I think yeah. we'd, be gi- <laughs> we'd be giants in Hollywood. Yeah. But, uh, you know, unless, you know, compared to The Rock or something like that. But anyways, yeah. um, it's just, it, it was funny seeing this guy out there because it's just like, what the hell is this? I'm just well, like, yeah, it's totally inexplicable, guy, right? He, he just appears, and you've got this guy wearing a helmet. And it's, if people you know. have not seen this, imagine Master Chief from Halo just spray painted <laughs> with matte black paint. That's him. And then what he's got is like almost like the you know have you ever seen like uh, Neil Blomkamp's a Celium ce- uh, or whatever the hell that is with uh, uh, a Elysium. That yeah. is it. Uh, sorry, stupid name. But um, he's got like that uh, like framework on the outside. Side, like these like almost like when people get into like a bad wreck or something like that almost like a like, like a cage they put around them to help their bones heal so it's like it's, an exoskeleton is what he's got exactly yeah. exactly and that's what it is and i'm just like what the hell is this and then all of a sudden we are transformed in like the 80s version of like american graffiti a movie i kind of name dropped <laughs> a little bit ago where it's just like you know, these hot rod cars and, you know, going to the burger diner and stuff like that. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And I think like the first thing that we get is these got this guy, he's driving in his car. He's got a nice vehicle. He's driving with his girl and they're kind of like, you know, spooning as they're driving or all suddenly <laughs> these, these, these cars are coming up behind them and they're kind of freaking out. They're like, what the hell? And all of a sudden they get up to a roadblock of more of these cars and they're challenging them to a mile race for pink slips. I mean, is, is that what's much going it. on here? That, no, it's very 50s greaser type. And look, you got to understand, again, when I'm watching this movie as a kid, I had already seen Grease at this point and loved that whole aesthetic. So I got it like immediately. And when I when I saw this go down, I'm like, this. yeah, this, I totally get it. These guys stop them on the highway and say, okay, we're we're racing for pinks, you know, and, and if you try to run away afterward, you're not going to want your girlfriend back when we're done with her. And you meet the gang immediately. I mean, you've got everybody there. And you talk about, like, standing out among the crowd. Nick Cassavetes is a really tall, lanky dude. And among all these Hollywood actors who are all 5'7 or so, I mean, he's head and shoulders above everybody. And he drives the super long Corvette. And everybody hooks up for this race. And then, you know, they're going to drive. And what's funny is that this kid, who we know nothing else about the dude, that he's got a name in the credits but you never hear it he he is going to drive and he actually is beating Packard for most of the race until Packard tries to run him into a wall you know which the can I say though man for 1986 and even for today the driving sequences here I mean this is all practical there's no computer effect that can make any of this work now it's done really well and I'm saying that in respect to the fact that one of the stunt drivers and cameramen died shooting some of this this movie so it's that's what it's dedicated to but I think it, the the handiwork of the camera here works I mean the the race is great you got that blasting Ozzy Osbourne song secret loser I mean what a great song too and everything about this opening sequence works 
I guess that's one way to put it. I'm just trying to get, I'm just like, I'm thinking of like with mentality of like how car ownership works right here. I'm like, you're going to take ownership of that. You don't have the freaking title, buddy. You know, all that guy's got to do is just make one call to his insurance and say, yeah, some freaking guy stole the car from me and they're going to have the cops after him. And he's going to, you know what I mean? It's just like, that's not the way car ownership works. Well, no, no, we know that now, but back in the day, again, the audience, this was made for wouldn't have known anything about that. Well, I think anybody over 16 who's paying their own insurance (laughs) bills knows that maybe the 10 year olds in the audience think that's the way car ownership (laughs) works that like, ah, mom and dad got that minivan based on a race <laughs> <laughs> no i hope not but no really I, I like it though i like the fact that the guy stands up to packard and all packard has to do is give him that well he had look. no choice though i mean it was like that or what you know what i mean that was the only chance he was going to get to keep his car from a guy with a really bad mohawk and i i don't know it's like a gem in the holograms makeup that he was wearing you're, ta- you're talking about skank we're gonna get back yeah, to him yeah no i'm talking about at the end though when he when he's talking about you had to cheat to win packard just gives him that dead-eyed look and then whips that switchblade out and it's like da-da, the sting and the music and I, look i remember being a kid in the 80s man if you had a switchblade that was badass like nobody's gonna touch <laughs> that guy i mean if only oh, if, he, if he'd had a butterfly knife it would have been better you know well, today it's like, well, that guy probably has a gun. Yeah, today this ends in all kinds of blood shit. This doesn't happen today. But but you know what, though? You, you think back to that first Fast and Furious movie, right? Which is a different tone and a different kind of film. But it's the same idea, these street racers, this culture that you know only a few understand and like forever it has it has been in my head i'm like how does this work around here but then i'm like wait a minute when you meet the cops in this movie you can understand how packard and his gang basically run a chop shop you know because what they do is they steal parts off these cars and then they sell them to other car dealers for like twice the money and that's that's their whole operation i guess i don't know i just i was kind of laughing at the gang because it was like None of them have a consistent look. You know what I mean? It's not like they're all just like leather bound with some chains coming off. It's not like they're all like, you know, surf Nazis or anything like that from like, you know, Lost Boys. It's kind of like <laughs> you got a guy. Look like it. Well, you, you had a guy who kind of looked like that. Then you have a guy who looks like he's just freaking strung out on meth. And then you had another guy who was wearing a letter jacket. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, yeah, let- it was like all over the place. It just looked like they just basically with this movie, because they probably had a very small budget. You know, I, I don't know what that would equal in 1986 dollars or 85 when this was made. But I mean, it was they, they went to the closet and basically found whatever outfits they could for well, these look, guys they, to wear. They, but they had or bring, young, bring they your had own, young, bring your own. They had young Hollywood there, though, man. That's the thing. Like, like you look at it again. You got Clint Howard, who's who's I don't know how he got cast as this, but whatever. You got him. Nick Cassavetes, obviously John Cassavetes' kid. He's got a striking look. David Cheryl was an up and coming actor. He had been in I think like the Warriors and some other stuff like that. So he's playing Skank, who has the mohawk and is like constantly you know sniffing WD four and drinking petrol and got some kick you know that that guy and then you got his i don't like is gutter boy like mentally slow or something that's his best friend he's running around with you got i guess <laughs> yeah you got griffin o'neill he's ryan o'neill's kid and it you know it's a it, this is before the the horrible boating accident he's in that sort of derails his career you got chris nash is minty he played in a lot of different stuff so here's here's the thing jay yeah. you're bringing up all these names i have no fucking clue <laughs> <laughs> no no you may not know the names but i'm telling you you've seen these people in other things particularly in the 80s like all of them have been in stuff that you would recognize and in the day they would have been the kind of thing that would have attracted the teenage audience to watch this or rent this again this is a movie that feels like it was made for well it'll do its theater but really this is going to make money on the home end i think 1985-86 is when they started realizing rental is going to be a a new market for us and that's certainly what we get here but I, i like the diversity of the gang a little bit man i mean they are a bunch of like loose screws sort of thrown together in the same bag i mean i i dig them i dig the fact that they're all caricatures i mean packard's the only one that has any kind of real personality arc at all and he's a psychopath and that's the i mean he's like the most possessive asshole boyfriend would be ever right but i totally could get that character he reminds me of all those stereotypes Uh, he's reminding me a lot of ben stiller from dodgeball (laughs) (laughs) no 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 he's got the same haircut and he refuses to wear a shirt. 
So he, do, like, he does not wear a shirt. You're right. There's a lot of him without a shirt on. So the, the most you're going to get him on is like a vest that's open. <laughs> right. But but again, for what Jay, he's supposed to be. I think I see why you like this movie so much. <laughs> for what he's supposed to be, you like it. Because Packard clearly cares about nothing except control over the gang scene, the race, the town, whatever. He blows the sheriff all the time and this girl. And that's the the thing, because the next day, this is when we start meeting everybody else, because we go from daytime and we realize that this thing that flashed together that we saw the guy is standing up on the hill watching this race go down. Right. So that's the weird part. And like part of his arm disappears, which we're going to come back to that piece in a minute after the wrecks, because I don't understand what that's about. But he he goes and becomes the next day, you know, the the Charlie Sheen version. Uh, Jake on the bike rolls up and goes by Carrie's house as she's getting ready to go walk uh, to, I don't know, the hot springs, I guess it is. I mean, all I know is this is an excuse to have scantily clad people in the desert. I need to know where this place is. It's Tucson, Arizona. That's in Tucson. No, no, I know it's in Arizona, but like where this like little hot springs place is because that looked pretty awesome. It (laughs) was a pretty awesome hangout. Yeah, it's I'm not sure that it's not completely man made. Oh, man-made or whatever, man. That looked like the, pretty much the place to go. I mean, it kind of reminded me of something like one of those like beach movies from Elvis's era or something where it's like, yep, you got the bikini girls and you got the guys just hanging out. We just go here just to lay around. No, I'm with you, man. It is it is a cool uh, place and it's a cool hangout for the kids, right? And like we, we get a little bit more of one of the gangs here, but moreover, you really get to see how jealous Packard is because he shows up and of course Skank's wasted out of his mind and all this stuff. And he's saying, Hey man, you just make sure nobody gets near, you know, Carrie today or whatever. And he's, you know, standing over there. And what's funny to me is everybody else is in shorts and swimwear and stuff. And Packard's out there with like black jeans and boots on, <laughs> you know? So I, apparently his legs well, did not see the sun. Well, it goes back to, I don't know if you ever watched The Sopranos when they're having a talk with Tony Soprano. Yo, boss, you don't wear shorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you can't, if, if you're a man of power, you do not wear shorts. That I, is the rules. I guess that's what it is. But I mean, you think about any movie out there where you got an alpha male, they do not wear shorts. Just, just, it's, it's a fact. I'm now going to sit here the rest of the night trying to think of one that beats that example, but we'll get there. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of one, but I'll, I'll come back to it. So. <laughs> Okay, Braveheart, he wears a kilt. Mic drop. Uh, that so. doesn't count. But you know what? You think about Jaws. Did Quint ever wear um, shorts? Did Quint yeah. ever shower? I think he's in the same outfit the whole film. Showering <laughs> shorts, they go into the same category. Probably so. But Brody wears shorts because he's on the beach. So anyway, <laughs> back, back to uh, where we were <laughs> in the uh, hotties on the rocks. Jake gets to flirt with Carrie a little bit. Can we just be, can I just be a male for a minute, a horn dog male, and talk about how gorgeous Sherry Lynn Finn is in this movie? She is completely over the moon, man. That that dark hair with that blonde streak in it, that little mole she's got going on, and not to mention the way she looks. She's gorgeous in this film. Oh, yeah. I mean, she must have not ate anything for like a month before she did that stuff. I've never seen a stomach so flat. In I know, my life. man. That girl is, I mean, she looks great. She looks like one of those fitness models from the 80s. I mean, she looks Oh, incredible. yeah. She's definitely like one of those jazzercise VHS tape girls. I mean, totally. No, no doubt. She, and she looks amazing. But you know what? She's really sweet, too. That's the thing that, like, you get to learn about that character. And she is kind of two-dimensional i mean she really is there to, to look pretty and be arm candy oh uh, she's pretty three-dimensional in those beach scenes <laughs> well not what i meant exactly but in terms of character i mean she really is damsel in distress most of the time but she's very nice like she's genuinely nice and i you know you watch this film enough and i've seen it probably you know half a dozen times total in my life and you watch the way that her and Charlie Sheen's Jake character sort of get on real quick together and, and really seem to hit it off. And looking at it this time, I'm like, I think somewhere internally she knows, I know this guy from somewhere. Like she's connecting to him the way she did that old boyfriend. I guess. I mean, she, you know, she's, but, but then again, you got to realize though, too, I think what they're kind of playing at is like, she's with like this ultimate asshole of a guy. Yes. And then you have a guy who just kind of comes up and he's real sweet to her and everything like that. Of course, she's going to be kind of, 
you know, taken with them because pretty much every other guy probably in that town is like, you know, looking the other way. I mean, he's like Joe Pesci in like Goodfellas where it's like, if I even look at a guy, he's going to kill me and stuff right. like that. Or it's like, I think just a guy who's willing to like kind of chance it with her is kind of like attractive to her. That's how I was taking it at first. And that makes a ton of sense. We also get to meet Billy here, who we find out is is Jamie's brother, the the guy that she was with who got murdered, and he hits it off with Jake too, kind of early on. And he really is there to dump exposition for us about who everybody is in town. He would be the guy in the John Hughes movie that gave you the tour around school to tell you who everybody was. And, exactly. But yeah. my, my question though is like he brings up the fact that his brother Jamie is dead, and it's like really none of you guys have put two and two together here. You know, it's like he's dead of it even brings it up. He goes, no one knows who killed them. And it's like, really, you don't know who killed them. Well, again, it's the whole idea of we don't know, but we have our suspicions. I I took it as that's what I wanted to ask you is how long ago did that happen? You know, it couldn't have been that long ago because none of these people have changed that much. Six months max, because even the flashback scenes, I mean, it's like. You know, it doesn't look like she's a couple years younger. Or something no, like yeah, that. she doesn't look and, that different. And that was the whole thing too. Is like when they were doing those flashback scenes. I don't know the guy they got to play Jamie because they are two different actors. You know, the guy was playing Jake and you know Charlie's scene, and then the guy's playing Jamie. But even during those flashback scenes, I'm like, holy shit, because I didn't, I, I didn't know the plot of this movie, and I'm thinking, I'm like, same guy, isn't it? That's that's, that's Charlie Sheen, and I'm like, <laughs> why are they not recognizing him? Well, they, they've already sold it to you, too, because when we meet him and he's hanging out on the rocks with Billy there, he's got his shirt off and you see these deep cuts and like scars in his back. And I'm like, if you're going to reincarnate yourself as a ghost being, why do you have to wear the scars of your death? <laughs> like that? Well, because he's got to wear those scars to get revenge, Jay. It's very poetic. But they don't disappear one at a time as he kills these four people. I mean, that's not, that's not they how didn't it goes. Have the, they, they didn't have the budget for it. They had the budget for one scar scene, and that was it. I mean, well, it is, it is good makeup. And then it is, you're right, he's not, he doesn't have a shirt off anymore. So, because that's just that one scene. But I don't know. It's really, uh, it's so telegraphed and obvious. No, those, those, those scars went away later in the movie when they were in the water together. <laughs> Well, yeah, because they probably forgot to put it back on the next day when they shot it or whatever. Or Charlie Sheen said, I ain't doing that. We had one shot, guys. That was <laughs> For all we know, that was a stunt back, too. How do we even know that was Sheen? So, I mean, but but the point being is they telegraphed the big spin, the reveal of this movie. And I kind of appreciate this movie for that because a, a lesser film would stretch that out and try to make this a bigger secret for the audience. And what they do is they're like, look, nobody else here smart enough to figure out obviously this is the dead boyfriend come back we'll tell you how that works later but they let the audience in on that early and i like that i i like directors that appreciate the intelligence of the audience never mind what the rest of the the cast of characters is going through maybe this is just part of grief for them is that they haven't put it all together yet i don't know but they don't hide that from the audience and i can appreciate this film for that sure (laughs) <laughs> I got nothing else to say to that chick. Sure. Well, we we get our first big race, though, because it's a day race, too. Like, that's the thing is the first race is at night, but then the the next time the Wraith challenges anybody, it's in the day. And we get uh, Augie, who's uh, Gr- uh, Griffin O'Neill and him, go on this big race. And, man, can I tell you, the canyon roads that they're done, it's a fantastic-looking scenery. I mean, I, I've only been to Arizona once, and it, I didn't go to Tucson, but what I saw of it looked exactly Exactly like this, and it's just beautifully shot. I mean, what a great looking scene! And I'm glad they decided to do it in the daytime and not at night. So many cheap productions would do this in the dark where they could hide everything. And in the daytime here, I mean, you, you get to see great close ups of both cars, the drivers' faces, everything. It looks really cool. No, it does. It does. But my question though is like, okay, they, they see this like badass car show up, and they're like, we got to race them. I mean, it's just like these guys have like, they're just asking to get caught with their whole like, you know, motive as far as like or their whole business scheme here. It's like, yeah, we're, we're going to go race this guy. And then they pull up and he's just like standing there waiting for him. And it's like, is this how it really happens where it's just like, 
he knew about them and like, uh, we're going to race. I mean, it was just like, there was no like conversation or anything. It was just like, yep, we're going to race. I, t- I took it as everybody knew that Packard and his gang had their ways and the cops even knew, but they just couldn't ever catch him to bust them or whatever. So I, I think Jamie would have known this too. And the fact that he shows up wanting to race these things, look, he attracts them with the one thing he's got, the freakiest craziest looking car they've ever seen i mean rughead clint towered says it best hey let's just add it to the collection first we'll figure out what it is later you know Uh, that's one thing i like though when he's looking at him goes how much that car worth and he's just like because it's like his that's that's like clint howard's thing is like he's like the brains he like knows how much you're going to be able to you know sell this car off or what parts you're going to be able to use it for and he's just kind of like I, I don't know, but let's get it. You know, I thought that I thought I liked that part. I thought that was pretty cool. I like him in that role too. He's always playing quirky roles anyway. But I really liked him as the the nerdy. Uh, friend. I mean, he doesn't drive a sports car. He drives a truck. He's got that huge head of hair. But he's like the tech genius. He's got plans. He's got blueprints. I mean, you know, if he had been redirected in life, he would have been a you know a heck of a NASCAR mechanic or something like that, or NHRA guy or something. But he's falling in with the wrong crowd and i kind of took it as he probably got picked on by these guys forever and then he proved to be useful to them and so they like let him hang around but i mean packard even has like tons of respect for him like he's hanging out with him and you know high fives him a bunch like i think he genuinely likes him and so that's what's funny about it is you have this nerdy guy who doesn't fit with the rest of the group at all uh you talk about the one that sticks out he really sticks out but man the the race is awesome though and what's what's really great is when the wraith decides he's done with it and just hits the the afterburner or whatever and is just gone you know and he and then next thing you know he's turned around sideways on the highway and what a fantastic crash i mean <laughs> not only the crash on the highway but the the dodge going down the hill and through the canyon and exploding and blowing up i mean that's it's a good like 10 second scene where another movie would have just done a quick crash and then it was over yeah it's it's neat i, I like the fact too that like you know it's like during the first race, it's like, well, where's the cops? And it's like, it's nice that they actually got the cops involved in this one. Yeah. And the thing that's too cool is like, kind of like you brought up is like, they're, they're racing and they're both kind of taking the lead. And then when you see that the Wraith is kind of like, okay, I've toyed with him enough and he just fucking takes off. And it's just like, you know, just flies down the road out of sight. And it's just like, eventually when, you know, what's his name? Augie or whatever finally catches up to him. Then of course, you know, he's completely taking up the whole road because he's sideways and then boom, that crash. I mean, it's pretty cool, and I think what w- one of the uh, cooler aspects of this movie is is that when they find the body of this guy, he's not. They even say like he's not burned up. He should be a freaking you know, you know, burnt up pop tart at this part, but he's not. His body is actually intact. It's only his eyes that are burned out. Yeah, it's it's like he's totally naked. It's like they pulled him out of a hot tub. They say, and he's just like. It's really eerie and weird, and I, you know, my wife had never seen this either. So when I watched it last, I watched it with her, and she was like, "What's the deal with the eyes?" And I looked at her and I said, "I don't know. They never explain it." And that's one of the cool things again about this movie is it doesn't feel the need to explain itself at everything. It's just this is how it kills people, and I I like that though. It adds a real weird element. I love that one deputy too. Like something ain't right, and I'm like, "No shit, Sherlock." <laughs> You know, I mean, and Randy Quaid, man, can we talk about him for a minute as the sheriff here? This is, man, I, I don't know what they did to tell him to come and do this, why they got him for this, because he's at no time would I ever believe him as a small town sheriff at all. But he plays the role really well. He's a perfect Buford T. Justice style. See, People, you know, obviously put Randy Quaid into the Uncle Eddie persuasion here. But you got to remember, I mean, like back in like the late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s, he was a good actor. I mean, he he had a lot of roles. I want to <laughs> say he was he won an Oscar, too, didn't he? No, he didn't win an Oscar. No, oh, I thought he won it for the one with uh, Jack Nicholson. No, 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 no. That's that, uh, no. Randy Quaid never won an Oscar. So I don't know. I might have to look that one up on you, Jay. But so, I thought he was something. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, you know what? Hold on a minute. I will correct myself. You're right. He won an Academy Award. Holy smokes. I had no idea. Uh, for something called The Last Detail. Uh, he was nominated. Yes. He, yes. The he, one with Jack Nicholson. He, the one I just brought up. He today. didn't win. He didn't win. He was nominated. But you're right. Yeah. He, he did, he did, uh, uh, 
was nominated for that. That's interesting. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like Brad Dourif. If you only know him for Chucky and you've never seen any of the serious stuff he's in, you're kind of missing part of the oeuvre. Yeah, you know, he was, you know, back in the 80s and stuff like that, he was a serious actor. I mean, he was a guy that was, I mean, even stuff like uh, Of Mice and Men, I mean, he he got serious big roles. I think it was just until the 90s when he started doing his Independence Day and kind of really went off the deep end. But Well, and, and for, then he, he also started running from the law and the drugs and all kinds of random stuff. You know, can I tell you, as, as someone who was you know paying attention to movies at this time, for years I got him and Tom Sizemore confused with each other and Michael Madsen. They kind of all look the same in a certain era. You know, they're they're all kind of big barrel-tested dudes, you know. Now, now you can tell them apart, but there's an era of them where they could have played each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, this kind of like the you would never would expect them to be kind of an Hollywood actor, but they are kind of like your your schlubby guys, so to speak. Well, but again, uh, from the 70s, like the, there's a, set, a lot of 70 actors that got started in the 70s that they're not what you would consider Hollywood leading men, but they made careers out of it because they were good performers. And I, what I'm saying here is I like the Loomis character in the fact that he's in hot pursuit of these people. You know, and he's trying to catch them, but he's just a step behind every time. But he's intent on it. Like, he really wants to bust Packard Walsh, like, bad. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole thing, I don't think he's a step behind Packard because the whole time he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to get the warrant on you and stuff like that. Like, he knows that guy's up to no good as far as what, what kind of shenanigans he's pulling and stuff like that. But also, he's not dumb in, like, knowing that, like, something's not right here. I mean, this is something that's beyond our understanding as far as, like, oh, yeah. these guys showing up that are in fiery gigantic car wrecks and they're intact and unburned and stuff like that. I mean, we'll talk about it later when he kind of comes, puts two and two together. But yeah, I mean, I, I liked him in this role. I've always been a Randy Quaid fan, so I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, well, I mean, what's neat here too, is we get more stuff with Packard and just how insane he really is, especially with Carrie. I mean, he does that whole, um, pull the switchblade down his palm and bleed and you know we're blood lovers and all this shit and she's just like you're out of your skull friend what i'm sitting here wondering is i'm like why doesn't this girl just hit him with that huge oversized bag she's got with roller skates in it because she's a roller waitress and get the hell out of dodge i mean what is she doing with with him that, that's the thing i i have never understood and that became a point of my high school career too is like why are you with that guy you know, and so I'm asking you to explain it to me. Why would she just not completely leave that situation altogether? Uh, I think you could say that about any woman that's in an abusive relationship. I think she's just freaking scared out of her mind. And one thing I'm going to bring up, too, there is no parents in this movie at all. No. I always took it when she's going back home, she's going back to her parents. And I'm like, where's the father? You know what I mean? It's like, I, see, that, I took it that, as these people weren't in high school anymore. I took them that they were like out of high school and maybe community college kids or something. I don't know. None of them, still, none of them, but they, they don't talk about high school. They don't go to school. They don't act like they're in school. They just, they act like they're just kind of you know 18 plus and just sort of living life. I guess. I don't know. But then she's, she's working at a burger joint. I mean, yeah, she probably makes decent tips wearing that outfit, but it's like not enough to be able to, you know, afford your own apartment. So I, she's got to be with her parents. Well, I don't know how much she, she makes on the side or whatever. That other girl's probably making more though, because, or maybe making less because she's wearing a lot less clothing. But uh, anyway, the other waitress who is unnamed in the film, but no. the, 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 the bra budget on this movie was Zero. <laughs> Seriously, I think she had one, and that was about it. But you see his control. We get the second race now. Because, well, actually, before the second race, though, we got to talk about this. They're all at their like gang hideout, right? And and they're just hanging around and and doing whatever. And the the driver shows up and like shoots the hell out of the place. Like he goes in with a shotgun, shoots their cars all up, blows up a bunch of hoods, points the gun at Packard and then like walks out the door. And I'm like, "What? Why did he just blow them all away? What's the what was that all about?" Uh, intimidation, I guess. He's kind of, you know, playing with his food before he eats it. I I I don't know. That was kind of my thing. I'm like, just blow the guy's freaking head off and be done with it. But I think the whole thing was, I think he was tying his revenge into getting uh, Carrie to fall in love with his new look, you know, so well, that's, that's a good point. And they do a thing there where it, 
like the screen on his helmet goes away for a second and it's the actor that played Jamie and then it comes back and you get it from like Packard's point of view and he's like, who the hell is that? Hold on a second. And then you see Rughead and he's the one that puts it together because later on he'll say, I knew that was Jamie Hankins who came back to kill us all, you know, or whatever. And I, I don't know, maybe it is just a complete... uh psychological game he's trying to play with him but i actually what i like about it here and i'm not trying to root for the bad guy but i like that packard just stands there like go ahead pull the trigger you know and, yeah. and it's I, like I not phased at all i will say that is i believe that people are scared of him because you could tell the guy throughout the movie he's not scared of dying at, at all. all no i mean I, I will give them credit that when they do race they do put helmets on very, very, very uh, proactive of them. Yes. They are very safe. But they, they all wear their seat belts. They have on their driving gloves. I mean, and look, they've even got one group running their interference for them. Like, you get three miles ahead, make sure nobody's coming down the road the other way. You know, I mean, like, they, they're they're an organized gang so, of car yeah. thieves. They but, may not care about the laws, but they care about safety. They don't care about so. traffic laws but and ownership or insurance transfer, but they, they are okay with the safety. They, they understand the injuries to heads i can also can tell you too that because most of these race scenes are daytime shots that i think they uh they realize there's no way we're going to be able to hide our stunt guys helmets and there's no way the stunt guys are driving without the helmets so we've got to have the characters put on the helmets i i don't think that's not the reason they did that <laughs> you're probably right but i'm thinking that it's like hey psa Wear a helmet if you're going to race. It was the 80s, and it was an after-school special uh, time of, of life, so you're right. It could have been. Well, they, they, they could have put this movie in between, like, teen pregnancy and teen drug use. It's like <laughs> racing. Well, I mean, look, we do have a lot of sex in this. We, and... hey, we understand that you children are going to race, but we want to make sure that you guys are protected. <laughs> that is classic but we get our second day race here this time minty who's got the the letter jacket guy if you're trying to keep up and it's the same kind of thing same kind of high speed race ends the same way with this huge fiery crash and then you remember that well, i told you before like there's the part of that exoskeleton brace thing that you were talking about that disappears off the wraith it shows up like twisted and mangled in these wrecks and then it just glows and it goes away and i'm i'm asking you what you think that is i have a theory about it but i want you to tell me what you think it is well because there's going to be geico is going to show up and do their insurance check they want to make sure that there's no evidence left behind of who was in the other car <laughs> so he's got to make sure that any type of evidence or any type of you know stuff left behind that could show that this is an outer space angel coming back to wreak revenge on uh, the people that killed him is gone so that's how i'm taking it i, I don't know this for a fact but i think if I'm counting it right, the Wraith takes out five people, in, in or four people in, in this whole thing. He takes out Augie, Minty, Gutterboy, and Skank, and then Packard. So it is five, my bad. And I think what you see are five different pieces of his exoskeleton disappear. It's like he has to give up part of his armor or whatever every time he does one of these and he's only got so many so those are like the regenerative parts of this i don't know again they don't explain it there's nothing i've ever read that explains it it's left open to interpretation it's one of those weird things in this movie that could be anything but i kind of think of it as it's one of those things that he has to lose something every time he wants to do this so you're taking it that for him to become completely human again and be able to take Carrie out into the sunset is that he has to basically destroy the wraith within him. And the only way to do it is to by killing each of the people that have killed him. Well, I think too, it's it, those scars on his back again, you know, like each one of them represent one of the people he's going to kill. And it's, it, it's just one more check mark off, off the list. I don't See, know. I, I would have found it more interesting though. If like, the more and more he did this, the less and less powerful he became. That would be interesting. And, yeah. And like, you know, by the last time it's really just like his normal human self. And therefore he couldn't just do the suicide bomb against him. He had to like beat him or, you know, kill him man to man, as opposed to just 
crashing into him and killing himself and then regenerating but you could also uh, take it as like a cat's nine lives like maybe he's only got you know so many regenerations in him because he says something at the very end when he he gets out of the the suit and he shakes it off in front of carrie and it's all of a sudden charlie sheen he's like i don't think i can do that again it's like i i think that's the one scene charlie sheen's probably in the the suit uh, when they're doing that metamorphosis and i'm like maybe it, it takes something out of him to be able to do that every time could be, could be. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of those weird things again. But you get the second rate, and that, now everybody is like on pins and needles and freaked out. So Loomis brings them all in. This is my favorite part of the Loomis character when he calls them all in, and he just he just continually insults them in this. Well, you can see the office is probably like eighty eight degrees. It's hot as hell. It's Packard's over there smoking a cigarette. Everybody else is freaking out, and he's like. He's doing this little cutout of paper dolls so he can cut the heads off of them and put them in front of them to intimidate them. It's one of the best police intimidation scenes I've seen in a teen flick. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, how much brain eradicator does it take to get you guys to realize what you're doing and somebody's out here, you know, somebody out there using his car to kill people and I'm going to bring the son of a bitch in and all this stuff <laughs> And what, again, is like you said, Packard isn't afraid of anything and he's definitely not afraid of dying. And he's the one that's sitting there going like, all he did was bust the speed limit. So write me a damn ticket and let me go because this is a waste of time. And I'm like, what else are you got to go do? Make out with that blonde on the, the beanbag again? You know, so, which was where they pulled him off of? I, I don't know. It's... But it's a good scene for Loomis to get here because this is where you get Packard telling Skank and Gutter Boy, if you see that kid on the bike with Carrie, you better let me know. And sure enough, they find them together that night because Jake goes by and picks her up at the diner, the Burger Boy, and they're going for a ride. No, she's not wearing a helmet, by the way. I want to say for all the safety, neither Jake nor her have a helmet on riding that dirt bike through the streets of Tucson. Yep. In public service announcement, you might be the safest person on a bike. Doesn't mean everybody else around you is safe. Be this safe, is true. Kids. Yeah, look, Gary Busey will will attest to this as well. So, but I love how they they give the uh, the chase in the car, and the gutter boy is so like freaked out by this whole situation that he fires the shotgun through the floor and blows the power steering out of that Barracuda, <laughs> causing it to wreck. No, I, I'm I know my stuff about cars, but I, I didn't think the power steering is actually going to be kind of on the floor on the passenger side, but. I guess in this guy's this is this was a Cuda. I, yeah, I, it's a Barracuda. Yep. Not 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 like a '69 Cuda. This has got to be like a later model Cuda. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it definitely was. I mean, I I got it where he. It looked like he shot the center shaft and probably blew the transmission. You know, it's yeah, I think that's what they were going for. But where the shotgun blast was, it's like no, that just hit the floor. Yeah, that just hit the floor. But okay, we get it to him. Yeah, they're they're chasing after him and they're going through all the side streets and everything like that. A lot of graffiti in uh, Tucson, but uh, yeah, they <laughs> and that that's not a surprise. I'm like, man, it looks like a freaking L.A. or like New York in the '80s. Or yeah, something but like. no minorities. You notice, like, there's not a single one in the whole town. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's it was the, the 1980s. 80s. It's what it's they the, did. It's the 80s. There's only white kids that exist in these areas, I guess. There, there the are 80s. some mini minority kids in some of these films, but not this one. You're right. So, but not, what's, not in this What's one. great is that they have this wreck, and all Skank can think to do is take a hit off some brake fluid. You know, <laughs> is, that, is that what he was drinking? Was brake fluid? That was that was brake fluid that time. One time he hits up some like I don't know windshield washer, and then it's some antifreeze, and he gets some WD-40, and then that was some brake fluid right there. Okay, I mean, if you want to play it safe, kids, I'm just because this is my whole podcast is like you don't have to do like brake clean or anything like that. Just go buy like a cheap bottle of Fleischmann's. It's going to be cheaper and it's going to be a little bit safer. So I mean, just it's just with a damn sharpie if you're that hard up. I mean, come on, this is yeah, bad. yeah, or even like freaking like air in a can. I mean, well, let's that let's not down. let's not have anybody huff here. I mean, you know, but really, I mean, that's what this kid's doing. And what's so weird is like he can still complete sentences, which is amazing. <laughs> that he's done all that mush to himself. So, uh, oh god, his teeth, man, were awful. Oh yeah, yeah, he was a meth addict. You're right about that. So it's it's pretty bad. But what what I like here is that Packard is like, you know what? Bump this place. <laughs> I think I'm done. You know, and so he's getting ready to head out of town. He tells Rughead bye. He tells Skank and Gutter Boy bye. And he's gonna go pick up Carrie and get the hell out of here because he's he's done. And all he tells him is like, "I'll see you guys around." Like he's done. He's he's cleaning out. He's he's had enough. Which is interesting because Packard would not be the guy I think would run. 
but maybe he's like, you know, this, I don't really do this supernatural shit. I think I'm just going to go away. Um, and leaving the rest of his folks there, because, you know, Rughead tells them all, man, the Wraith is coming after us. You have one of the kids use the word, which is hilarious. And he drives off. Oh, he said it. He said it. Yeah. He said the name of the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, and then right, as he's going down the road, Packard's gone, he's gone. Here comes the turbo interceptor up the hill and Skank and Gutter Boy are standing in the, uh, the garage, getting ready to fire their car up and you, ah, and boom. And talk about a great explosion, man. That yes, thing, that yes, was That's awesome. what I wanted to bring up. That explosion was good. I mean, they, they blew up a building for it. I mean, yeah, they probably put together some little cheap exoskeleton of like a shed or something like that, but they blew that fucker up and that was a cool it, explosion. The, and that was really cool. The other I'll tell you the one it always reminded me of when the house blows up at the very end of Critters, when they you know they blow the farmhouse up, it's the same also, looking effect. Yeah. Also 1986. <laughs> yes. But. Yes, and we've talked about it. So but I'm like that that's always been linked together in my head, but it is a it is a fantastic explosion and it's totally 80s where it's like blowing up different angle blowing up different <laughs> angle blowing up different angle blowing up and then of course oh, yeah. they show like the you know all the debris coming down and everything like can, can i tell you too that i so appreciate and miss this kind of cinematography like michael bay has ruined this for everyone because it would have been cut to hell and back you know one second of this one second of that one second at least in this one you got to see that from multiple points of view for several seconds. They linger on that shot. It's well, it reminded me of alien three when the alien blew up like six times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of that, but I, mean, I, I was down for it. I mean, again, it's, it's what you want, you know, how, how can you take out these two guys except at the same time together? And what's even better is here comes that car just zipping down the road as Brookhead's walking back up the hill to watch his, you know, vaporized friends uh, who are, and, and like, what's funny is you don't ever see the bodies of those two guys. Like they're just gone. On. You know, it's like they yeah. they went into the ether. So, and that was the end of them. And one thing we got to bring up about uh, Clint Howard's character is he was not part of them killing Jamie, so that's right. why he gets to live. Exactly. That, and he even tells Loomis that. Like, Loomis shows up, and he's like, man, he came back from the dead to kill us, and he's like a dead kid with a shotgun. Okay. And he's, you know, trying to figure it all out. What's funny, though, is that I think Loomis believes him. Because at the end of all this, Loomis is like, there's nobody left to kill in Packard's gang. It's over. Clean this up and get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? Like, he's come around to understanding what happens at the end of this, uh, which is really weird. But I, I don't know. I, I love the destruction there of all of that. And, you know, what, what happens next is what you want to happen. You need the big showdown to come up. But Packard goes and gets Carrie, but not before Billy tries to, like, intervene. And, man, he gets the shit beat out of him. Like, and nobody helps him. He gets beat down. And, and he brings that up, too, though. After he gets beat up, he kind of looks at everybody else and he goes, you all just let her take him. You know, you let him take her. Exactly. You never t- help me out at all, which, which I liked. It's like, you know, they never never called that out in a movie, but it's like this guy got his ass kicked while everybody else was kind of stood, stood back just staring. Yeah, I mean, and this is twice. Like, There's another time he stands up to Packard. Packard's like, I'm going to race you for your car. And he's like, nope, not doing it. You know, he's just like, no, nope, not interested. You know, like he's the only person to ever stand up to this guy. And sure, he gets beat up for it, but he does stand up to him. And it's even part of it when you watch it. Packard like knocks him down with a punch and is like, okay. And then he kind of does this thing on his face like, oh, shit, I got to really kick this guy's ass. or Everybody's going to think I'm, you know, not as tough as I am. So then he goes in for a couple of extra kicks. But it's almost like, I didn't really want to do that. This guy hadn't done anything to me. You know, even though he's the brother of the guy I killed one time. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any beef with him. And so it's, I don't know, It's it was a neat little, it's one of those side things, again, that's lost in a movie like this because you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about the rock music and the explosions. But you watch it again, and there's, there's I mean, Cassavetes is giving you something. You know, it's there's a performance there. Uh, well, I, I like it, too. It's just kind of like, you know, if you, if you stand up to the bully, He's not going to be. He's not going to go after you like the guys that 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 feed into him. Right, right. So, and that's the thing is, I, I wanted more people in the town to stand up too. I was with Billy because uh, you just feel for the guy. I mean, he's look. He's not even trying to get the gorgeous girl. He's just trying to be friend zone with her, you know, because that was his brother's girlfriend. So, and you get the sense that like he's younger than everybody else too. 
But again, nobody's yeah. in school, so yeah. This isn't Pearl Harbor, man. Where it's just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh I can't, yeah, gonna... I can't believe you dropped that on the show. Oh my. Oh, goodness. that's what it was reminding me of. It's like you know that guy's a stand-up guy. He's not trying. He he understood where you know, <laughs> you know. Right. You take care he respects, of. He respects his down brothers. You know, <laughs> relationship. He's not going to try to get up on that. That's uh, yeah. So, well, probably in real life, he's like, dang man. But anyway, so uh, especially in the. Uh... Well, let's be honest though. He, he's a uh, he's flipping burgers at a, yeah at a burger place he's he's not probably you know he knows he's <laughs> actually i kind of took it as billy was the guy that actually ran the joint like he looked like he knew what he was doing everybody else was just there so. he, he had a cool car too everybody had cool cars yeah this yeah that's the man yeah this thing is littered with great vehicles man so there's no doubt about that but we get that final race and man it's a doozy too it's a great race you get that big long corvette that that dodge rolling up and down those roads the whole police force is in pursuit it's like they got everybody coming after these guys. And what's great is, once again, the Wraith pulls away. But in this time, instead of like just sitting in the road, he comes head on at him. But all that Packard can see is that the guy's just standing in the road, when in reality, the car's coming head on for him. Is that what that was? I wasn't sure what was going on because they're, like, they're showing like – Packard's going full blast, and then you're seeing like the guy, the car, the guy, the car. The no, that, guy, that's the what car. it is. That's what he's telling us is that Packard sees the guy and he puts his foot on the gas, like I'm going to run over this son of a bitch. And really, what's happening is the guy's coming head on for him. But that's the wraith projecting that so that you know he can make sure he connects with him. And I mean, it's an it's an incredible wreck. I mean, it is a great wreck. James Dean would be very impressed with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much in that same style, though. Those those you know head on chicken races, and that's what this is. And I, man, again, being a, being a fan of, uh, you know, car exploding movies and having seen Grease. And at that point I had seen Rebel Without a Cause too. I, I like the race and I like the fact that it comes down to this and that all we see in the end is the burnt out shell of that Corvette and Packard is slumped over on his seat and he's, you know, his eyes are closed and his head's just cocked back and he's clean as a whistle, but he's dead. And it's, I mean, what a, what a great vanquishing of your final villain. Yeah, it's good. I, I yeah, and this whole thing too is like the Lewis sheriff comes up there and he's just like, "Yep, same thing again." And then it's like, yeah. of course, you know the catchphrase of the movie. It's like, "What about the other guy?" And he goes, "You can't catch what cannot be caught." Right. Yeah, he's he's already caught it. Well, what's funny though is he like sits outside of Carrie's house eating a burger later, and he just sees Jake roll up to get her, and he's like friggin knew it and he just like goes back to his office like how am i gonna explain all these vehicular homicides in my my county now in the next budget review there's a lot of dead people here now so but yeah it's it, he sort of falls out of the movie there but we get jake's final business i i gotta tell you man i i liked the scene with him and billy where he goes back to the the burger place billy's sweeping up and of course he's ready for somebody to come back and get him and he's all beat up and Jake's like, man, it looks like you had a heavy day, you know, and he just leaves him the car and he's like, hey, man, take care of it for me. I got to go. But uh, good seeing you. And he's like, who are you, bro? And he's like, you said it. And I I love that whole scene, like where he's he realizes, holy crap, that was my reincarnated brother. And he's, you know, he's upset because he's gone again. But then on the other hand, he's like, oh, wow, far out, man, you know, with the with the cool. And, and, And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, these cops are after this guy with this one car there's only one of them ever made and now you have it there's gonna be a lot of questions about I, that I, car i think the cops. <laughs> i think loomis is just gonna let it go at this point i think he's gonna be like yeah billy we're just gonna not talk about they're, 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 they're gonna let it go where it's like okay we, we kind of figured out that these guys killed that guy who your brother's with and you have that car we're just we're just gonna let it go, Billy. <laughs> you know, so just I just no, but Billy, I, if I come up Jay, here again and get pickles on my if I get Billy, if I come up here and get pickles on my burger again, though, we're gonna have problems. I think that's what the sheriff worked out with him. Hey, at least he's not making any mayo and Thousand Island dressing burgers anymore. <laughs> Very true. But then then we go back and we get Carrie, and here's the thing that I don't get is. What what he says to her is some of it's the worst dialogue in this film is like, Carrie, we're meant to be together. I came all this way just to be with you, and it's like, man, this girl like needs to get these over controlling dudes out of her life. <laughs> like she really needs to move on. But what happens to them at the end? Does she like die and then they vaporize together? Because he goes over the hill and then the light kicks into the sky and then they're gone. So what what exactly happens? I don't know. I really don't know. I guess. 
they're going to go live eternity in the uh, Tucson Springs. I, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, it's, I'm, it's, I'm like, I don't know what what she's I, leaving to go do, I, you know, other than just be part, part of me is thinking, I'm like, OK, well, OK, let's say they go to California or something like that. I'm like, what are they going to do? They, can, they don't have any money. They got a really crappy, you know, motorcycle that they're driving on. It's like they're going to be kind of up on hard times for a little bit. No, see, that's the thing is they decorporealize. Like they become ether spirits. I guess maybe they go to the racetrack in the sky. I don't know. Like really, it's it's a little dark in the end because Carrie yeah, but the, doesn't that make him more life. controlling? Where at least you know Packard is going to go start a new life with her in California. Thank where, you. That's where, exactly where, where what Jake, I'm saying. Where Jake is like, yeah, we're going to die together. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. At least living with Packer doesn't mean she's going to die right away. She might die in the future, but at least she'd have a little bit more of a life. I mean, that's a little bit. I, I think, hey, you're going to come die with me is probably the most controlling thing you could ever do. It is a little dark there. The end. I mean, it is kind of like, wow, I didn't didn't expect that decision to, uh, to be but, made but, today. But to me, though, I think it was just kind of like an artistic choice at the end, saying that they they ride off into the uh, the sunset the sky. Yeah. yeah, the sunset or the sky together or something like that. Kind of Romeo and Juliet, so to speak. Greece, you know, yeah, whatever you want. So it's it's all the it's all the same difference. But we are at the end, and therefore we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts and popcorn ratings. If you're new to the show, we rate everything on you know the larger the size of the popcorn, allegedly the better the film. So Nick, what are your final thoughts and popcorn ratings for the Wraith? <laughs> Jay, man, ah, <laughs> oh, God, this is a tough one because you know what? I'm watching this movie, and it's incredibly watchable. It is. Is it a good movie? Not really, I guess by, you know, standards of what make, like, makes like a good movie, it's not, but it's extremely watchable and it's fun, but it's also kind of cheesy. I don't know. I mean, if you, if you had to put a, if you had to put a Dodge and, you know, an interceptor to my face <laughs> and, um, I would say it's, it's a medium popcorn. It is. I mean, it's nothing great. It's probably nothing I'm going to watch again, but I'm glad I watched it, but then again, I'm never going to really recommend it to anybody unless they really want to watch some 80s cheese. But if someone comes up and says, I want to watch some 80s cheese, and I say like something like Terror Vision or this, I'm not saying it to them to say like, man, you're going to get something like great out of this like Jaws or The Thing or Aliens or anything like that. So to me, it's it's a medium popcorn. It's it's a fun film. If you haven't seen it before, watch it for the cheese. It's good. But it's nothing that you're going to be writing home about. So medium popcorn. See, we disagree on this then, because I think there's a lot more to this film than meets the average eye of this genre and ilk of film. I think there's a lot to be talked about here. A lot of it we've talked about on the show, but you could you could sit down and have some pretty interesting conversations about this and have a good time doing it, too, man. This film is just infinitely fun. Uh, that's the thing about it. The music in it keeps it moving. It's not overly long. The action sequences are fantastic. The effects totally hold up. It works in every way. I, I really like this. Now, I'm not going to put it on level with like some of the greatest films I've ever seen. This isn't Alien or you know some of the other stuff, you know, Dark Knight or Batman Begins or anything like that, or Heat. But it's still really fun and really good. And I think it's one of those that's kind of forgotten from everything that came out in this era. And it's definitely worth visiting if you've never seen it and certainly worth a revisit if it's been a while for you. So I'm going to say large popcorn on it, Nick. I think it's a lot of fun and is totally worth time. And I think there's a lot to explore here with it. So I'm glad we got to drive down the desert roads of it a little bit here to uh, talk about it on the show. So. We got some fun stuff coming up, man. Like you and I are going to be doing some uh, revving of the old chainsaws here soon, right? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I imagine this retrospective will be all over the place like a body going through a chainsaw. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> Should be very fun. There's, there's, uh, It's been a long time since I revisited several of those films, and one of those I've never seen all the way through. So it'll be fun to get to as, as we talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Of course, lots of other stuff coming up on Filmstrip. If you subscribe to our feeds on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, folks, you can keep up with what's there. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate it your support until next time for nick i'm jay thanks for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies please leave us a positive review on itunes and link up with us on facebook the filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by frozen lake 121